And of course, we're continuing on this journey in prayer. There's so much. It's so simple, yet it's so powerful. There's so much to cover. Just communicating with God. Just communicating with God. That's all that prayer is. Talking to him and listening to him, right? But coming to him as Sharon shared this morning, expectingly. I don't know about you all, but some of my prayers have just become flippant, empty words. You pray it, and then you just kind of go on among your way. But there's a difference when you pray expecting God to move. And when he doesn't move, you got to remind him, right? God, you said, you said this, right? God loves it when he comes before us, him boldly and expectingly. He does. He's not offended by it. Because you're showing and proving your faith. that You know he can. You know he will. His word will come to pass. Of course, it's just the right time for to struggle with, don't we? Not, not a very patient people. But it will come to pass every single time. When we pray, God literally hears our every prayer. Even when you just pray it in your heart or in your mind, the Lord hears and he responds. We've already seen how prayer changes ourselves. How it can even change the plans of God. Remember that message? Go back and catch if you didn't catch it. But God will change his plans as his people pray and intercede. Because his character and who he is never changes. It's an interesting paradox in the kingdom of God. I love it. Whenever we pray, we interact with the heavenly realm. It gets set into action. Gets set into motion. I mean, in the angelic realm. And, you know, we, we read uh, from Daniel where, you know, an angel was sent and released as soon as Daniel started praying. But then a, a, a demon held him up in the principalities. And then Michael had to go and get sent to set him free. Things are happening when you pray. When you pray. Last week we saw God shook the place where the early church was praying. I filled them all with the Spirit again. He got pretty excited when the church prayed for boldness in the face of opposition. When they prayed that he would extend his hand to heal and to perform signs and miracles. He got so excited he shook the place. He's like, you've got it. You finally, you've got it. Woo. And he did it, didn't he? <laughs> he performed healing and signs and wonders. This morning, if you want to turn with me to Acts chapter 10, we're going to be um, just going through, you won't catch many expository messages from me, but you're getting one this morning. We're going through Acts chapter 10 on an account where we see an interaction between heaven and earth as we pray. We'll see an incredible opportunity before us to cooperate with God, to just let him have his way in our lives. Through simple prayer. It starts out in Acts chapter 10, uh, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. Um, and so there's a lot of information in this one little verse. But he was not your average guy. Not your average guy. He was a Roman soldier. And not just any average Roman soldier, but a centurion. That meant that he had a hundred men underneath him. He was in a position of leadership and influence. That means this guy had solid character, and he had also proven himself out on the battlefield. Can you imagine what this guy has done and seen? He proved himself to be skilled on the battlefield. He proved himself to have administrative giftings, to rise to that level of leadership, and especially in this location. 
This was not just any city out there. It was actually the, the uh, Roman capital in Judea. The Roman capital in Judea. Sorry, I'm a little behind here. <coughs> and so um, in this city, it was one of the largest seaports at the time. One of the biggest artificial harbors, of course, as well. And we know that it was here in this town, Cesarei, where the procurator would have also lived. And if you remember your Bible right, who was Jesus brought before there in that town? Pontius Pilate. He was the, the leader at the time. Um, so we know that Cornelius would have actually been part of his bodyguard, protecting him, protecting the city. Um, this was not any, uh, they wouldn't choose just anyone for that uh, position. And it's believed that this Italian regiment actually served as his bodyguard because they were all, you know, pure-blooded Roman citizens. They, they were, you know, born in, in Italy, um, you know, and whatnot. So this is just a little bit of historical background. Cornelius would have been very well-known and very well-respected in this town, in this city. We also go on to verse 2 here to read that uh, he and all his family were devout and God-fearing. We see that he gave generously to those who were in need and he prayed to God regularly. Now, there's a reason that, this, that verse 1 and verse 2 have such contrast with each other. Roman soldiers, especially at that level, were not typically... Um, God-fearing. They, they weren't typically praying to God. And these words that are used, it's the one true living God. Uh, you know, Romans, they, had, they would serve many different gods. They would even have household gods that they would uh, pray to. Um, but he prayed, from what this reveals here, to the one true God. Um, we know that he was in, a, in you know, the, uh, the capital city in Jerusalem, in Israel. Sorry, in Israel, rather. And so he was surrounded by Jewish people, and he obviously believed what they had said about God. He got to know God in that way. Um, and so it's, it's interesting here. Um, in fact, they would even later embrace the emperor himself as a god. But Cornelius obviously didn't. We don't know all the details, but he got to know God um, from the people that he served there in the town. But this is interesting because... It, it sort of pierced my heart. I don't know if you've ever experienced this or not, but have you ever experienced um, non-believers who actually live more like believers than you do, than, than, than church-going believers? They're kind, they're generous, you know, they put you to shame. There's a need in the community, boom, they're there. And you're like, why didn't I think of that, you know? They're not even a Christian, and here they are, you know, just loving and serving people and, and whatnot. Um, you know, and it, it, this is sort of Cornelius, um, there, there were many who lived here in this region who are sort of like Cornelius. They generally believe in God. They even pray to God. But yet, as we're going to read here shortly, they're not saved. Cornelius was not saved. Even though he believed in God and he prayed to him and he was... There's such a distinction here. <coughs> See, even the word of God in Acts chapter 10 here, reveals to us that it's possible to believe in God and to pray to him. Um, in fact, um, which, I, I can't remember book, book and chapter here, um, but Paul was, um, was it Paul or was it James? But anyways, um, said, you know, well, even the demons believe that there is a God and they shudder. Just believing in God and praying to him actually is an evidence of being saved. 
living a right life, that isn't necessarily meaning that you're saved. You can believe in God, pray to him, live a good moral life, and not be saved. Because how are we saved? There's only one way of salvation. Through Jesus, laying down your life for him, living for him. Cornelius hadn't quite got the Jesus part of this equation yet. And it's the only one that matters. It's the only thing that matters. But there's so many people in our community that live like that. They, they live generally moral, moral lifestyles. They pray. They're generous. They, they, if you ask them, they believe in God. We've done, you know, we've done door-to-door things where we ask people. And yeah, yeah, they believe in God and they pray to him. But no, they're not saved. Neither was Cornelius. And we'll see clear evidence of this here because it just literally says that. And so God was about to do something about this. Like, because he's that stinking close. So close. He's just missing one thing. So God was about to do something about it. So it says here in verse 3, one day while he was praying, which is about 3 in the afternoon, it's typically when Jews would pray, but while he was praying, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God come to him who said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. Now remember who Cornelius was. This guy would not scare easily by any means. He had seen some stuff. He had lived through some stuff. But when he saw an angel of the Lord, just in a vision, he was moved to fear. He was afraid. And he asked, what is it, Lord? The angel answered, your prayers, your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Right? Our prayers are always heard from God. His prayers had built this, this memorial offering before God. He said, now send men to Joppa and bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. And we actually see in verse, chapter 11, verse 14, he also said, he will bring you a message through which you and your household will be saved. So if you want to peek ahead, Cornelius, he gives a little more accurate account since he was there. In chapter 11, verse 14, he, the angel also shared that he was going to bring a message, Peter was going to bring a message, through which Cornelius would be saved. So he wasn't saved at the time. Living a good, moral, upright life, believed in God, prayed to him, but he wasn't saved. Because he never heard about Jesus. We've got some good news to share, don't we? We've got some hope within us to share, don't we? Yeah. Now, although he wasn't saved, that doesn't mean that God didn't hear his prayers. That doesn't mean that God didn't take notice of the generosity as he gave to the poor and helped people who were in need. God noticed it all, even though he wasn't saved. It was building a memorial, as if though God needs a... a so, I don't know about you all, but I have, I'm, I'm, only, I'm not even 40 yet, not, not till later this month. But um, I got a bad memory. I've got to hang things on our doorknob when I'm leaving the house so I don't forget it, you know? God doesn't have a bad memory, and yet there was this memorial every time that Cornelius would pray or give to the poor. God was like, oh yeah, there goes Cornelius again. And then he'd do his thing, but there's Cornelius again. It was building a memorial offering before the Lord. It's powerful. God was aware of it. And it said in verse 7, the angel who spoke to him, when the angel had spoke to him, John, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had just happened and he sent them off to Joppa. 
One thing that centurions obviously understand, and we see this in Luke chapter 7, when a centurion uh, came to Jesus, they understand obedience, they understand authority. They understand it. You just obey. You obey or you die. I mean, best, best way to live, just obey, right? You know, and we ought to be quick to listen and obey. It's the only way, right? Listen and obey. But that's exactly what Cornelius did. The angel told him, go do this. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius, he, he didn't sit there and be like, is that just bad steak I ate this morning? Was that just, I'm just imagining it, just dreaming, you know? He didn't question it. Immediately, when that angel was gone, that vision ended, he called for men, he explained everything that just happened, and he told them to go, to go. And notice that he did it this way, exactly the way the angel told him. The angel told him not to go to Joppa and to get Peter. The angel told him to send some men. He just followed orders immediately, exactly the way the angel said. He's not even saved, and he's obeying God. Not even saved, and yet he's living a life of obedience and faith and trust, right? This could have been trap, could have been trick, could have been imagine. You know, imagine this, this, this guy in the community. Imagine the reputation that he had and how flaky he would be. He could lose his position, which would mean losing his life. That's the only way a Roman soldier in his position lost his position, is by death. I mean, think about that. I, we just, it's so easy to read through these verses and miss all that. He was putting his reputation on the line before the Lord. He was putting his job, his life on the line by explaining this thing that had just happened and then sending him off to Joppa. I mean, what if they didn't find this man? What if Simon, you know, the tanner didn't live by the sea? And what if he didn't find, you know, th that's what I would do. I'm just confessing my sin before y'all. <laughs> but Cornelius didn't do any of that. Just quick to obey. Didn't matter, didn't even think about it. Just go. Go find this man. I love it. Absolutely love it. Because that centurion that, that encountered Jesus, he said, just say the word. You don't even need to go. You don't even need to go, Jesus. Just send the word and my servant will be healed. Because he said, I understand. I'm a man who is under authority and over in authority, just like you. And I know all I got to do is say the word and my servant will go and do this. They get it. That's, that, that should be the description of all Christians, but we're not, are we? We like our fleeces, and we like to question, and we like to think, and we like to be logical, and we like to play it safe, but God is not looking for a bride. A bride um, that is playing it safe, is he? He's looking for a church that is ready to move when he says to move, to stay when he says to stay, to pray when he says to pray, to get out there. Get out there and share this good news. And so he did that. He um, sent um, his men to Joppa to bring Peter back. And his faith was revealed through his works. His faith was revealed through his works. And he wasn't even saved yet. And we continue on to verse 9. About noon, the following day. This didn't even all happen at one time. There were some time lapses here. About noon, the following day. But it was perfect timing. It took time to travel to Joppa. Like, this is just so cool. God's timing is perfect. Hang in there. Hang in there. Noon the following day, they were still on their journey, and they were beginning to approach the city. Peter went up on the roof to pray. God knew Peter was going to go up there to pray. He just, he knew it. But, but Peter still was doing it. He was praying. While Peter was praying, he became hungry. He wanted something to eat. I don't know if y'all have ever been in labored, intense prayer 
and you've been there, like all of a sudden your stomach's like, I've been in prayer circles and people get hungry and it's, it's funny, but that's where Peter's at right now. It's, it's all good. We're all people, right? He went up to the roof break. He got hungry. He wanted something to eat. And oh, down in that house, because he was up on the roof, they were making dinner. And you know what that's like. I, I get out there on the grill and I can imagine what my neighbors think, because I know what I think when he's grilling, you know? Oh, that smells good. Especially when he's smoking. That's just mean. I mean, all day long you're smelling that stuff. Sorry. What time is it? Yeah, it's getting close. Um, <laughs> but, but while Peter was praying, he became hungry, and they're preparing the meal, and all of a sudden he fell into a trance. And in this trance, he saw heaven opened up. Something like a large sheet was let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of furry four-footed animals, and some that weren't so furry, reptiles, birds. And then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. And I, I love hunting seasons because I'm like, we're just living out this verse. Get up, kill and eat, you know. That's what it's all about. Just, just living the word of God, right? Doing what he's telling us to do. But Peter replied, surely not, Lord. And that's a capital L. He, he knew who that voice was. He recognized the voice of God. Recognized the voice of Jesus. He said, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. Two more times. Peter rebuked Jesus and said, never, Lord. And Jesus like, do not call what I've made unclean. Now, you got to get this understanding. Peter was a Jew. And if you read the Levitical law, the ceremonial law, it was wrong. It was a sin to eat anything with, what was it, cloven hooves, and especially reptiles and birds of the air. Peter was standing on the word of God because he was missing something. That was the old covenant. Even though he lived through and he saw the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, he talked to the risen Lord face to face. He even ate breakfast with him. He still didn't realize that something had changed. A shift had taken place. The old covenant had been fulfilled. There is now a new covenant. Not the law that brings death, but the spirit that brings freedom. Freedom. But a religious mindset and attitude is one of the most difficult things to overcome. And it is huge in our region, unfortunately. Thinking that you've got to talk this way, walk this way, act this way, or you're not clean before God. You, gotta, you just got to. You know, you got to mind your P's and Q's and dot your um, I's and cross your T's. And you don't want to cross your I's, you know, that's just awkward. <laughs> but it is a mindset where the ultimate goal of discipleship and church is conformity. Conformity. So we all look and act and talk the same. Conformity. A mindset that demands that everyone submit to the same rules and regulations, which just values and judges appearances alone. An attitude that looks down on anyone who doesn't conform. 
You need to clean up your act. And this mindset is so hard to break that not even Jesus talking to Peter could break this mindset and this attitude. He had a hard time breaking Peter free from religion. Peter arrogantly told Jesus, no, never. Ooh, you have to be bold to tell Jesus, no, never. That's the way it's always been done. It's the way we've always done it. That's the way it's always going to be. That's what I'm sticking to, right? I don't eat stuff like that. I don't hang out with those people. I don't, I, no, never. No, 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 right? Isn't that the old covenant? No, thou shalt not. Then Jesus came and said, love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's all you got to do. <laughs> if you do that, you don't have to worry about the do nots, right? You get all knotted up and tangled up in the do nots. They bind you. They restrict you. Jesus came. He said, I got one law. Just love. Love the Lord your God. And if you're doing it, you're not going to do the knots, right? Isn't that so cool? Just a shifted. It's, it's called the renewing. Like, share, not Sharon shared. I'm used to Sharon sharing. Marie shared at the altar team in his meeting. <sighs> we need that renewing of our mind. And that's what Jesus was trying to do with Peter, was to renew his mind. Because he was calling Peter to do something that Peter would never do. But he needed to do it. So you get the idea here. I'll continue on here. <sighs> but I love how God prepares us for what's next. It's usually something we're not comfortable with. It's usually something we don't agree with. It's usually something that we would say, that is not God. Never would God do that. But the word of God says, see, I'm doing a new thing. And that's in the Old Testament. Why don't you perceive it? Why don't you perceive this new thing I'm trying to do? And it's not that he contradicted himself. He didn't contradict the old covenant. He just fulfilled it. There's now a new covenant. Paid for by his blood, right? We had communion last week. You know all about this. God prepares us. And it's not normally something that we would naturally do on our own. If God calls you to do it, it's not something you're going to naturally do, right? He doesn't, he doesn't have to tell you to wake up in the morning. The Lord doesn't have to tell you to do that because you're going to do that. Right? He doesn't tell you to breathe. You're just going to breathe. But he's got a command and tell us to do things that we don't want to do. I don't want to. It's not comfortable. I don't like talking out loud. I don't like praying with people. I don't, what if that person thinks I'm a flake? Come on. What, what if they shoot me? You know the world we live in, Jesus. <laughs> I'm not going to go to some stranger. You know? Yet he calls us to, doesn't he? He calls us to. He prepares us for what's next. Um, we're unfortunately going to see this reality again soon, but God's people are not always the quickest to embrace change, are we? <coughs> no, you can tell, I mean, how, often, how long has this sanctuary been the same and the format of the service has been the same? We don't like to embrace change. It's just uncomfortable. Like things to be the same, right? And we're no different than the way Peter was and the way the church was. But we're going to learn that when God is leading change, it would be wise for us to just surrender to him and say, yes, Lord. Not, no, never. We ain't never done it that way. We ain't going to start now, Jesus. <laughs> be wise to just be like, yes, Lord, all the time, no matter what he's calling us to do. And so in verse 17, while Peter was wandering, see, Cornelius obeyed. Peter wandered. Did you ever read about God's people after they left Egypt? It's not good to wander. <laughs> You know what wandering does? 
It keeps you from the promise, right? Don't wonder, just obey. Then you'll receive the promise. This is cool because it's being revealed to me just as I share it. I love it whenever the Holy Spirit reveals things to me as I'm sharing it with you and we just get to all learn it together. It's pretty cool. Wondering is not good, but Peter was wondering. He's worrying about the meaning of the vision. I mean, was, was he just hungry? I mean, he was hungry. And surely God would never contradict his word. Peter could quote it. He, he heard it in this, you know, from the scrolls read in the um, temple many times. He knew it. But um, yeah, anyways, we're going to continue on here. While he was still wondering about this vision, God's like, hmm, I better not let him wander long because he's going to talk himself right out of this thing. Don't we? We talk ourselves right out of doing what God's calling us to do. We rationalize it and justify it. And so Jesus did not give Peter time to do that. As soon as he started wandering, the men sent by Cornelius, boom, Simon's house, and they stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. Stop wandering. They're looking for you. Get up. Go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them because I have sent them. <sighs> it's bad when the spirit has to like give you the, the smackdown talk. Get up. Go. Stop thinking. Just get going. It's bad when the Holy Spirit's got to do that to you, you know, because the Holy Spirit knew exactly what Peter was going to do if he didn't do this otherwise. He was going to go and screw it all up, right? And so um, I love that God knows who we are, how we are, and in his grace and mercy, he gives us what we need, even if it's a smack on the back of the head every now and then, you know, he gives us what we need, maybe a kick in the pants, and he did that for Peter, and he'll do that for us too. But we would just be wise to be quick to obey, just do what God calls be, be like a centurion. When God says go, just go. D don't even sit and wait. Don't sit and wait. It's the worst thing you can do. Unless God says wait, he's calling you here and now, okay? Do it. Do it. Trust him. Um, and so uh, Peter went downstairs. He said to the men, I am the one that you're looking for, but why have you come? He's still wandering, isn't he? The Holy Spirit didn't tell him to go down and question everything and to ask them. The Holy Spirit just said, go down, go with them. I sent them, and he has to go and ask. The men replied, we've come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and a God-fearing man. He's respected by all the Jewish people, right? Because they know Peter's a Jew, and he doesn't, even, he doesn't even talk to these people. They're Gentiles that Cornelius sent. Um, and, and they said, a holy angel has asked us to come to this house so that we could hear what you have to say. Because they knew that Peter would never, ever, ever go to them. The men had to appeal to Peter's desire to look right before his fellow Jews. He's respected by the other Jews, right? They had to kind of appeal to that. He, he looked, you know, so you got to be like the other Jews, and you got to go and uh, receive him too. Because everything that was happening was against this religious mindset that Peter had that Jesus was trying to set him free from. And so verse 23, it says that um, he invited him in. And um, yeah, he invited him in. Let me get to the good stuff. Acts 10, 23. The next day, Peter went out with them. And some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived at Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them. He had called together his relatives and his close friends. This is a full house. And as Peter arrived at the house, Cornelius met him. And fell at his feet in reverence. 
But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm, I'm just a man myself. <laughs> While talking with him, Peter went inside. He found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware. <laughs> he's like, I'm going to meet with Cornelius. And then he walks around the corner. He's like, whoa, <laughs> there's a party happening in here. And so the very first thing that Peter does is he busts out his religious little, you know, put up the walls and the gates. And he's like, now, now you know, you know, you're well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate or even to visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I shouldn't call anyone impure or unclean. He got it. It wasn't about the animals and critters. There were, there existed a creation that the Jews hated and despised, but God loved. Their religion built up a wall that caused them to hate. Jesus was about to tear down that wall, tear down that mindset, because it wasn't about the impure and unclean animals and critters that uh, Peter had seen. He realized that Jesus was showing him his, his attitude toward the Gentiles, the non-Jews. In fact, probably all of us, I'm guessing all of us here are Gentiles. None of us are Jew, Jewish by birth. So glad that God loved us. And so he was reminding them that it's against the law, but God had shown that I shouldn't call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. But may I ask, why did you send for me? Cornelius answered, well, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this very hour, at three in the afternoon. And then suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me. He said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send a Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the house of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. He doesn't live in a pineapple down by the sea, by the way. It's starting to get worried if I throw a little humor out there. So I sent for you immediately, immediately. And it was good for you to come. Now we're all here. We're here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Now, what did the Lord command Peter to tell them? Nothing. He didn't say what to say. Don't you hate it when God does that? Hey, you see that person? I need you to go share something with them. He's waiting for you to take the first step. You take the first step, it's just like walking down a staircase in the dark. You've got to trust that next step. And it's scary and it's fearful and you don't know if it's there. And I'm clumsy and I might just roll all the way down, right? You've got to trust God for that next step. He's like, come on, right? It's just like, you know, whenever you're teaching your kids to walk, it's just all about that first step. And then you take the next and the next and the next. So then Peter began to speak. And he's just thinking out loud. I, he's like, I now realize... <laughs> I now realize how true it is that God doesn't show favoritism. Like, he's, he's speaking as he's thinking, as God's revealing things. So he's just sharing what the Spirit's revealing. But, but rather, God accepts people from every nation. Anyone who fears him does what's right. You know the message that God sent the people of Israel. They announced the good news of peace that came through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You, you know what's happened. Jesus of Nazareth, the one who was with, with the Holy Spirit and power. You know how he went around doing good. He healed everyone. Everyone who was under the power of the devil. And it was all because God was with him. 
He said, we, we are now witnesses of everything that he did in this country, of the Jews in Jerusalem. But they killed him. They hung him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and then caused him to be seen. He wasn't seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. He's like, by us. We ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify He's the one that God has appointed. He is the judge of the living and the dead. In fact, all the prophets testify about him, and anyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of their sins through his name. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on everyone who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter, they were astonished astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. Now, how do you know when someone's received the Holy Spirit? I can't see what's happening inside of you. But I'll tell you what, when heaven meets earth, when spirit meets flesh, something happens, and there is no question and no doubt. It says here what happened, and it happened many times throughout the New Testament. For they heard them speaking in tongues, and praising God. They knew they were filled with the Holy Spirit because they started just speaking in tongues. And these are, oh, just amazing. On Gentile people, it's a good thing when the Holy Spirit interrupts us. Because I'm like, I just picture God's like, just get to the good part, Peter. Like, come on, enough talk. It's time for action. And I think that's the season he's calling the church into, too. Everything that Peter said, he's like, well, you already know Jesus was here. You know all the good things he did. You know, you know, you know. That's what Peter kept saying. You know Jesus. They crucified. You know all these things. You know all these things. They knew what they needed to know. You know what they were lacking? The Holy Spirit. It didn't say that they got down on their knees at the altar and prayed a prayer. It didn't say they did anything. They were just listening to the good news of the gospel, and the Holy Spirit filled them. They were receiving it. That's what changed. For the first time, something was clicking and they were receiving everything that happened as truth. That he was the one true living God. That Jesus Christ was the one sent from God. That he died for my sins, he rose on the third day. That's really all you need to know. Like, like as soon as Peter got through that part, he, he sinless life, died on the cross, rose again. As soon as he got to that part, God's like, okay, enough! When he filled them with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Love it when God interrupts a service. So awesome. You, you can do it now. You just move in power. But it's interesting what happened next. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of them being baptized with water. <laughs> they got it backwards. They got baptized with the Spirit before they got baptized with water. Surely no one can stop us from baptizing with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. You see, this is also a part that is so key, discipleship. It's important that not only you hear and receive the good news, not only that you're baptized with water and with the Holy Spirit, but you've got to grow in your faith. Grow in your knowledge. And that happens as we dive into the word, not just alone, but with each other. That's why God gave us the church, 
so we can learn from one another and live life together. They didn't say, just, just leave, your, leave your teaching materials with us and we'll go through a study together. They said, stay here, live with us for a few days. We want to learn from you. We want you to teach us. Joining together and learning together from Jesus. We need it. Although the church can still be a little religious-y too, right? To slow to embrace change, slow to obey what God's called through the Spirit. God is incredibly merciful and patient and gracious. Because after being, I, I just got to go to the next part. So turn to 11 and we're going to almost end on this. This is what happened. You think everyone would be excited about this, right? You think everyone would be excited? This, like, Cornelius, everybody knew Cornelius. He just got saved. Him, his household, his family, his friends. They weren't just saved, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were baptized in water. They made that public proclamation to all who lived in Israel that they were followers of Jesus. Think about the context. The Jews were killing people who preached in the name of Jesus. As if they didn't hate the Romans enough. Now Cornelius has saved his whole household. The one that oversaw this town. I mean, this is huge. These, these are huge ramifications in, in the civil government and just in the everyday way of life. I mean, this is just, ugh, it blows your mind when you really think about it. So you think the church should be excited that they're being saved. This is how the church responded in Acts chapter 11, verse 1. The apostles and all the believers throughout Judea, they heard. They heard that Gentiles had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. You think they'd be really excited about what God is doing, but instead they criticize what God is up to, how he is moving. They said, you, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and you ate with them. They criticized him. How dare you? We don't do that. We never have. We never will. It's the way it's always been done. It's the way it always will be. We don't do this. They criticized them. <sighs> And so starting from the beginning, Peter told him the whole story. And I'm going to spare you the details of the whole story. To the good part, 15. You've already heard it twice. No you need repeating it a third time, right? So Peter said, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them. As he had come on us in the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift that he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? And so when they heard this, they had no further objections. They praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. And so, yes, they were quick to criticize at first, but they came around. They had open ears open minds and open hearts thankfully they heard what god had done and they responded in praise they began to praise god that even gentiles are being saved so they were slow to embrace this 
But this all happened at the same time. Like slow as in a few sentences later. Unfortunately, the church is kind of like a ship. Like I don't know if you've ever driven, you know, a, a boat out there, especially on Keystone when you can't go more than, you know, have more than 10 horsepower behind you. You know, you turn the wheel and it's not like a car. Things don't change right away. Slowly you start to turn, you know. It's a bit how the church is. Like God moves and sometimes it takes months or years before the church will be like, oh, I see. This is of God. This is what he's doing. Prayerfully, we start being more like the New Testament church, and we're like, that's what you're doing. This is what you're doing. We embrace it. We praise God for it, and then we just keep moving on, right? Prayerfully, we learn from their example. Prayerfully, we will be quicker to skip over the judgment part, quick to embrace what God is doing and start cooperating with him. But it all started with prayer. It all ended with prayer. Prayer, 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 prayer throughout this whole account. Cornelius was praying. Peter was praying. This all happened as a result of prayer. Prayer is how Cornelius caught God's attention. Prayer is how Peter received the revelation that God was saving all people, even Gentiles. Prayer got people out of God's way so that everyone could be saved. Prayer brought about reformation within the church to embrace and to accept anyone and everyone who receives Jesus' salvation. And in fact, they decided to do it without heaping religious rules upon them. If you, if you caught a word here, it kept saying the circumcised men. How'd you like it if you came to church, you got saved, we water baptized you, and at the end stands over here sharpening up his knife. It's like, all right, buddy, I'm glad you're saved. It's circumcision time, man. <laughs> Believe it or not, the believers were worried about this. <laughs> they were concerned about this. And so the church all got together. It's the council in Jerusalem. And this is what they came up with. Because they're like, we got this Old Testament with all of these laws. Civil, moral, religious, uh, circum, circum, yeah. Anyways, you've got all this law of Moses. What do they need to obey then? You know, what, what do they need to do? And so they got together, and in Acts 15, they wrote this letter to all the Gentiles and all the churches. They said, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrifice to idols. Boy, we know that and got challenged later, didn't it? And then Paul's like, just go through conscience. There's freedom through the Spirit. From blood, from the meat of strangled animals. So sorry about all you roadkill people out there, you know. I don't care how fresh it is, it's best to avoid it. All right? Just better to avoid it. And from sexual immorality. And man, does our culture need to hear that one. It's good to abstain from sexual immorality. Just save you from a whole bunch of messes. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. That's it. Like, this had to be really hard for the Gentiles, or for the uh, Jewish believers to write, because they were following all of these laws. I mean, books and books of law. Just read through Leviticus sometime. And they decided, you know what? It seems good to us and to the Holy Spirit that you just abstain from these few things. You'll do fine. It's all about Jesus. 
It's all about putting your faith in him, right? So this morning, let's value and expect more from prayer. Expect more from prayer. Don't just speak idle words. Pray as if though you are speaking to the one true living God who spoke and created everything. Pray as though he is hearing you and that he is going to respond to you because that's what's happening. Pray it and believe it and expect it. Cast off that veil that comes with the religious mindset and enjoy the freedom that the Spirit gives because there are so many Corneliuses all around us. In fact, there may be Corneliuses sitting in this church right now. You believe in God. You pray to him. You live a pretty moral lifestyle, but you're still on your way to hell. You haven't been saved because you haven't given your life to Jesus. You just haven't surrendered it to him. Think about the way the centurion was just quick to obey, quick to receive everything that God was offering, quick to receive it, and then quick to obey what the Spirit told him to do. So let's just close in prayer. So Jesus, we thank you for doing all the hard work, for living the perfect sinless life. You are wrapped in the same flesh we are. You dealt with all the same weaknesses and temptations and trials. You dealt with hard-headed and hard-hearted people, Lord. You know how difficult it is to live this life well. Yet you lived it perfectly. Thank you for doing that for me. And especially thank you for taking on the cross and dying the death that I owed. You paid it all, Jesus. Then you freely, freely, freely gave me life. Life abundant, life eternal. You forgave me of all my sin. Jesus, forgive me for heaping so many requirements onto myself and others help me to be quick to accept people where they're at the way that you accepted me where i was help me to be quick to obey you and to live a better life to live a sin-free life not because i want to look good but because you are good to live a good moral life, to show you how much I adore you and appreciate you, to prove my faith in what you say, because what you say is good. Help me to be like the centurion. It's just quick to obey your voice, Holy Spirit. Help me to be less like the wandering, questioning, thinking Peter, and to be more like the quick to obey centurion. In your name, Lord, thank you for your salvation that we have freely received. Help us to freely give it away to everyone in your name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thank you. Have some fun with this salvation you've received, right?